Hi, everyone. Welcome to another, I don't know why I'm singing. Um, welcome to another episode of Chit Chat. I hope you're well. And if you're not well, I hope that this episode brings you some relief from whatever is making you not well, um, which it might do because today I am going to be joined by Shuranjit and Simi, um, who both work at tackling mental health stigma in the Punjabi community. Shuranjit, um, I believe, works especially with Punjabi men and founded a website and platform called Daraki, which aims at helping Punjabi men open up and talk about their mental health struggles. While Simi works um, with the Punjabi Women's Forum, doing the same for women. So I'm super excited to have them on today. I think we should have some really good, engaging, much needed and important conversations about mental health in South Asian culture and specifically Punjabi communities. So I hope you enjoy. Just a quick note to say, this episode was recorded virtually, so apologies in advance for any dips in audio quality. Thank you so much, both of you, for taking time out of your weekend to do this. I appreciate it so much. I realise, like, there are other things that you could be doing. <laughs> so thank you. So I just wanted to, to talk about Theraki and your work with destigmatizing mental health in the Punjabi community. Um, so Shuranji, you founded Theraki while you were still at university, right? Yeah, yeah. So founded it in, like, October 2017. And what made you want to start it? So it's born out of my experiences and mental health challenges, particularly when I was transitioning from home to my undergrad. Um, and that kind of, it was like a starting point of really delving into mental health in a bit more of a, firstly, definitely an introspective way. And then in a way that wanted me to reflect on how we approach these topics within our communities. And were you going through your own kind of mental health struggles at the time? Yeah, exactly. So my transition from, you know, largely from somewhere that was very multicultural uh, to a student population that was not multicultural in the slightest, um, that was, yeah, it was difficult. It was definitely difficult. And, you know, that had a load of different associated challenges with it. Um, and for me, you know, I was lucky at that time to be able to access support through my friends. Um, but that made me quite, you know, quite reflective about those folks in our communities who are going through different kinds of challenges, similar challenges, who might not be fortunate enough to access um, different kinds of support, whatever that might look like for them. So you kind of founded it to give the Punjabi community a space in which they could feel open and free to talk about their mental health struggles because you felt like you didn't have that um, space already. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess it is, it's thinking about that, those spaces, but then it's also thinking about those spaces as a part of a process. So, you know, if we just say, hey, we're going to create spaces for these discussions, it doesn't, it doesn't, it assumes that everyone's ready. And it assumes that everyone is at a similar level when they, you know, might want to access spaces like that, they might want to learn more about mental health in that way. And so that's how our work kind of our work looks at education, um, awareness, education, social support and research. They're the four areas that we focus on mm -hmm. um, and they're the four that we've identified as being a part of a, a part of an overall process rather than just like 
you know, a single part of that. And when you were going through your own mental health struggles, was there any hesitancy or apprehension to reach out to people in the community to talk to about it? So for me, it was more that because I was living away from home, I didn't want to speak to my family or friends back home about the challenges I was experiencing because I wanted to be seen as living independently. You know, I didn't want folks to worry about me living away. I didn't want, you know, um, kind of parents and other relatives, you know, worrying and, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, how they could, how they might, how they might be scared for me, how they might, you know, want me to come home, all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so that was the main reason I didn't reach out to folks back home, um, even though, you know, my parents, my family would have been incredibly understanding. And I don't doubt that they would have supported me um, through that process. But it was more that I wanted to kind of you know, be seen as living independently, be seen to be able to look after myself in a way. So when you first founded the rugby, was it exclusively for men? So the way our work started was um, very initially as a mental health awareness campaign for Punjabi men but very soon after that you know we recognized that these conversations were taking place across Punjabi communities more broadly um, and not just you know regarding Punjabi men Um, but my main thing was that I wanted to ensure we were working with if we're doing work related to Punjabi women's mental health that was being led by Punjabi women Um, and if we're doing work related to say Punjabi LGBTQ plus mental health that was being led by people who identified as Punjabi and LGBTQ plus. Um, and so very initially, because it was, you know, just me at the start, uh, we had that focus on men's mental health. Um, but as we've grown, as we've met some really, really, you know, fantastic people who have ended up being members of our team, uh, we've been able to speak to different areas because, you know, I might be, I might feel like I'm a, I can speak to particular experiences but there is no way that I can speak to other experiences um, and so it's been really important to be able to ensure that we have folks uh, who can speak to those experiences more closely and they're the people who are going to be leading the work. Mm. And Simi working with the Punjabi Women's Mental Health Forum why do in particular do you feel like it's so important and necessary to have a separate focus on women's mental health? I think it's I think it's what Sharon said about, you know, everyone, I think women and men and all the different kind of communities and groups within that, like they have, there are similarities in terms of issues that might affect them, but there are also differences as well. And so I think it's important to kind of give that space to women to be able to explore issues and, and their own experiences that they, they might be struggling with and to do so in like a safe and confidential space as well so yeah I think I think it was important to kind of create that space for women because there was clearly that gap that you know Shireen recognized and and then you know wanting women to lead that as well is very important because uh, me Ajit um, and we had Serena and Sik as well so there's four of us we all kind of wanted to kind of create a space where we could explore issues that we have faced and we know that other women have faced and and also actually allowing women that attend the forums to have an input in terms of what they want to kind of discuss next so mm-hmm. it wasn't just us kind of organizing it and leading it all the time it was kind of getting direct input from the women that were attending as well so yeah it's a, it's a space that we can all kind of feel comfortable to share um, the things that we're struggling with really yeah and have you identified any key differences not only in the way that men and women discuss their mental health or their willingness to discuss their mental health but are there any key differences in the topics that come up yeah so I'm not sure if there's 
you know, very big differences, but, you know, the, the topics or themes that we've explored quite a bit or that keep coming up um, is to do with kind of relationships, the role of women within marriages, the kind of expectations and the pressures um, that we face within the Punjabi community, but within society more generally as well, and kind of questioning that and, and whether that works for us as individual women and whether we want to continue you know, living our life um, according to these kind of expectations or are we challenging them and how are we challenging them and what works for us and our well-being, I guess, as well. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think most recently exploring things like lockdown and, you know, the digital boundaries that we are all struggling with. Um, um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, very important to kind of listen to what women want to, who attend the session, want to explore, but then also it's quite relevant to the time that we're living right now, which is, you know, lockdown, COVID, working longer hours, you know, being very, uh, things are very digitalized for obvious reasons. Have you found people uh, leaning on your services more post-pandemic or during the pandemic? I think... In terms of the size of our forums, they've been quite consistent since last year. What I have found is that because we're not able to have that kind of physical interaction, I, the sense that I get is that women really do appreciate that on a Sunday morning, once a month, they can attend our forum and just speak openly and, you know, find comfort and kind of support from other women. Um, because, yeah, I think, personally speaking, you might you know I feel sometimes quite alone you might have your family and friends around you but you don't really have the same kind of support that you might have had beforehand uh, before lockdown so just kind of speaking to women that maybe you've never met before or if we have like women that always attend every month and just having that kind of community is really nice um mm-hmm. so I think I think in that sense people really value it more so maybe uh, I'm not entirely sure but more so than before Covid. And Srinjit would you say that have you noticed if men have been more willing now that there's kind of a screen in the way um, have you found that they've been more willing to be more open or do you think that they prefer an in-person discussion? I think you know similar to what Simi was mentioning um, it varies a lot from person to person so because we've been doing online spaces there have been folks who may not have been able to attend in person people who say live in different parts of the world people who may live with you know conditions or challenges that make it hard for them to leave the house you know different kinds of people attending these sessions I think the harder thing with online is that it's harder to pick up on non-verbal cues Um, it's harder to express you know uh, support in different ways uh, just because, you know, we're all sp- essentially speaking to squares on a screen. And I, I really, really think that's so important with the work that happens, uh, particularly with Punjabi men, where a lot of people say, oh, you know, men won't talk, men won't do this, they won't do that. But what we've found is that it's just that you need time to really create that space of trust, uh, create a space where people feel as though they can be open, they can be honest, and they can share. And, you know, having having done that definitely in person and, it, you know, taking a bit longer to do that online, you'll realise that men won't stop sharing. You know, if people say, you know, men don't talk. It's actually, it's, I mean, it's the other way around, right? It's, <laughs> you know, Can't get them to say, shut up. <laughs> this is the thing, you know, you, you know, you just, um, you're, you're, if you're able to create that space, uh, it completely challenges the myth that men don't talk. 
I think there are certain benefits to having these spaces online because you're able to kind of engage folks who might not be able to actually attend in person. Um, but then I do think that in-person kind of meeting folks and, you know, developing, having those conversations before the session starts, standing outside in a circle after the session ends and taking ages to leave because everyone's carrying on talking. Like that's, they're the things that you can't replicate when you just click leave, leave like webinar or leave meeting and then you're just, you're there. So it's almost like that before and after care that really is the cement for linking people into things that happen afterwards, you know, coming back, reattending. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things we've learned. And, you know, even after the, uh, after we kind of the pandemic eases, well, we're really, really hoping to continue our online offerings because, you know, these are, these are things that have supported different kinds of people who might not have actually have had access to different support um, at this time. And uh, Sami, you kind of touched on this earlier, but how do you think that gender roles affect people's mental health in the community and their expectations of both men and women within family, within the culture? How do you think that affects people's mental health? I I don't want to make any generalizations because I think everyone's experiences are different. But personally speaking and, and kind of touching on, you know, things that have come out of the forum, I think inherently there are expectations, norms and pressures for women and men that play out a bit differently. And whether that's in a relationship, in marriage, within the family, whether that's your own family or within your in-laws, uh, whether that's at work, they've all come up. And I think yes there are similarities but yes there are very big differences too so whether it's kind of a woman taking that kind of caretaker responsibility for the family for her in-laws once she's married that kind of additional I don't want to call it work but additional kind of labor almost that she has to take on at certain big transitions within her life so whether she becomes an adult whether she becomes a married woman these all kind of have come up and women have expressed and just personally speaking women have expressed you know like if they're happy with that and what kind of impact that plays you know like whether it's negative or actually some women have found some positives from the kind of gender roles that they have to play within their kind of family or their relationships so it's it's been quite a mixed bag but I think yeah women in these forums have expressed a lot of the times like the struggle that they that they face um you know making do they make peace with that role that is expected of them or do they challenge it and if they do challenge it what are the consequences of that and that also plays a massive impact on your mental health if you're going to be challenging these these roles that are always expected of you and it's been really nice to see women kind of supporting each other in that sense because you know having a whole forum life after marriage there was a mixture of women that were married not married at different age groups and it was so nice to kind of learn from each other. And there were women that had gone through similar things, women that, you know, just haven't even thought about marriage and never gone through that kind of um, kind of life stage or might not be even planning to. But it was just such an enriching uh, experience to kind of speak and hear all these different experiences. And I think the form is such a great place to explore the different gender roles and the expectations that we face. So mm. I think it, it it definitely plays a big role. And but also it's it's nice to see both sides because you might think inherently that it's going to be all negative, but actually sometimes it's not. And yeah. it's nice to hear 
the differences in people's experiences. Yeah. And I guess the topic of in-laws came up quite a few times. And obviously it's still quite common for when a woman gets married to a man that the man is usually living at home with his family and she then goes and lives with them and they live in in, as an extended family in one house is that a topic that comes up quite often because from my personal experience of talking to married women older than me they've had a lot to say about that experience of living with their in-laws and I have to admit it's mostly negative but that you know that's just me and who who I know and the people I've heard from so I'm, I'm interested to see if that's a topic that comes up often um, in your discussions. So we had like one uh, forum that uh, focused particularly on life after marriage and, and that's where because we noticed that it these issues of like marriage and relationships kept coming up in other kind of topics um, where somehow you find it's somehow related and so we were like okay let's let's just focus on this you know entirely for an hour and a half and yeah I think it has come up quite a bit and I think I think the important thing to highlight is that yes there are negative experiences and women have expressed how it's really impacted their kind of general well-being and it's important to recognize that and I think again what Shirin said with the space being online with such kind of when women are ex- expressing such difficult experiences it's it, there is a bit of a limitation whereas in person we have that forum last year you know you can comfort someone you can you can see their physical you know body language and there's a lot more support you can provide in person than if you're just on a screen and you're like yeah there's a limitation there but then also I think it's important to remember that some women have expressed that actually getting married and their life after marriage has actually been quite positive their relationship with their in-laws hasn't been the kind of I think maybe in the Asian community or the general yeah Indian community we kind of think about it as quite negative like oh you know going into your in-laws they're going to be expecting you to make roti and samji and you know expecting you to like do all these chores but actually there's a lot of women that um, have proven me as a young person and some of my kind of views on marriage and actually just throwing that out the window so actually it's it's been very positive and it's nothing like what we usually assume women's roles within um in-laws and 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 marriage to be like mm-hmm. um so yeah it's definitely I think it's been such it's the, it's the conversation has definitely provided a lot of balance yeah it's not all doom and gloom basically which yeah. has been really nice <laughs> and is the topic of um uh life after marriage and in-laws is that discussed amongst men at all is that something that comes up often so we had a session on this um it was it was actually like kind of framed as um marriage and kind of becoming a parent and that was in person actually it was before the pandemic started and very similar to what Cindy mentioned there were a lot of range of attendees you know some of whom were you know middle-aged married kids all that type of thing some who had just finished uni some who had you know just started work some who were thinking of settling in different ways and there was a real I think this is one of the most interesting forums in the sense that there was that real real intergenerational transfer of knowledge as Demi was mentioning like there was just like such an amazing aura um, around learning from each other um, you know speaking to people about these topics who uh, they might not have had the conversations about that before 
um, they might not have been able to speak about these topics. They might not have been able to reflect on these things or, you know, talk about them openly and honestly with, you know, say elders or younger people in their lives as well. And so that was really, really cool because they were just, everyone was just sat, we were just all sat around a big table and everyone was just kind of, it was just like, it was such a, it was such a pleasant space. Um, and in my, in my opinion, it was how a lot of these spaces uh, need to take, need to move taking forward. It's kind of that intergenerational conversation. It's that transfer of knowledge and experiences, both from younger to older and to, from older to younger, because everyone has so much to learn and everyone has so much to give. We're all teachers and we're all students kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was really, really cool. I enjoyed that conversation mm-hmm. a lot. I think so much more of that is needed, that intergenerational discussion, because I think there's a tendency of young people to think that they know it all and for older people to think that they know it all. And so when you're doing something that doesn't fit with what the other generation think, it's like, oh, you're doing it wrong. That's not right. But there needs to be, I think, so much more discussion and explanation of like, oh, well, we have this opinion and we have this mentality because of X, Y, Z. And that conversation, I think, the education and the change, the positive change that can come from that is so important, I think. So that's that's great that you're, you know, you have spaces where people can do that. I saw on your website that uh, you reported that in a survey aimed at Punjabi communities, 75% of respondents reported that they turned to faith um, at times of mental health difficulties. Obviously, a lot of the Punjabi community are Sikh. Do you think that people seek a re- resolution in their religion rather than like going to therapy or or seeking like professional help in that way? So I think when folks encounter situations, difficulties that might be distressing or challenging, I think they will seek support in the ways that are most comfortable and most trusted to them. And so one of the things that I've seen within the mental health landscape there isn't really much of a discussion around faith. You know, whether we're talking about Sikh folks, folks who identify as Hindu, Muslim, Christian, you know, people who identify as not having faith. It's quite, it's quite interesting that there is very little discussion of faith because that is very, that contrasts a lot with the things that I've seen growing up, the different ways that I might have supported myself growing up, the ways I've seen people in my life support themselves as I've grown up. And it's almost like the whole conversation's missing. And so when we did that research into... Uh, Punjabi communities, COVID-19 and mental health, uh, we asked people, you know, it's, we didn't just want to ask people, you know, what's gone, what's gone wrong for you, what are the challenges, but we wanted to ask them, where are you getting your support? Where, uh, if, you're, if you're feeling supported, where are you getting that support? And so faith came up as a really important one. And as I mentioned, it was just something that wasn't really there before. Um, and so whether that is, you know, meditation, whether that's contemplation, whether that's kind of reciting prayer, whether that's, you know, learning about and engaging with faith in different ways. Um, there are loads of ways that kind of faith uh, kind of can, can support folks during this kind of time. And it was really interesting because what we did after that, we took forward a bit of work that focused on faith and mental well-being, uh, developing workshops with faith, faith-based organizations. And we've, we've done these workshops and well, we've, we're doing them and they're, they're ongoing. We found that from the people attending, you know, we're asking them, have you experienced challenges during COVID-19 and lockdown? And roughly about 60% said yes, they had experienced challenges. 
And then we ask them, have you seek support from healthcare services, you know, private healthcare, whatever? And 75% said no. And so for us, that is the demographic that we're trying to kind of speak to through work that does focus on faith, because there are people who have experienced challenges, but these folks don't necessarily access healthcare services in the way that we might assume people do. Um, and so for me, it's a really big gap that requires a lot more exploration, a lot more research, and a greater understanding of how the different parts of our lives interact to actually create support in different ways mm-hmm. yeah and you've worked with uh, a few Gudwari to run workshops um, and give people the spaces how well have they been received by both the Gudwari and the people visiting them it's, it's interesting because when you work with you know Gudwari or any or any faith centers right you're having to engage with the people who run it and so first you have to make the case to them because you know you can't go in and do um, work around mental health without having the permission to do that from the people who run that space and so mental health when it you know it's, it's a term that is becoming increasingly popular maybe five to six years ago it would have been really hard to bring this up but it is getting a bit easier now to bring it up because it's a conversation that more people are having you know I'm not saying everyone has it but it's, it's a conversation that more people are having and so there are definitely some spaces that are more receptive um and you know the pandemic made it a lot harder to do these things in person of course but what we've what we've actually found is that doing it online it takes away the need to go to someone and seek their permission um doing these things virtually it means that you know we're able to work with organizations and once you have that relationship established you're able to then you know run things online and anyone can kind of just set up a zoom meeting have like a webinar or whatever and it's made it a lot easier to be able to engage folks and you know, the, the, the kind of numbers of people who attend these sessions, it, it ranges from about 80 to 150 each time. And it's, I, I am constantly astounded by um, some of the feedback that we get because people are not only learning from the sessions themselves, but we've asked people, have they, you know, made any changes to their lives? Have they tried to integrate different learnings into their lives? And there are people who have attend, who've been attending, you know, each session and they say each time, oh, I'm doing this now. I'm trying to integrate this now. So it's not just about us having a session and then people saying, cool, I feel great after that. And then us never engaging with them again. We're trying to understand how these things work over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because we're doing that online, it's a lot more possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like a great, great testing ground for a lot of this work. And we were talking previously about um, intergenerational discussions. Is it a real variation in ages of people in, in both the women's and the men's forum? Yeah, so I think it is, well, at the beginning, it was predominantly 20 to 30 age group. Like that is the consistent age group that mainly like shows up for our forums. But actually we've seen as, it, as the forum has kind of gone on, a lot more kind of older age groups are turning up so and that has really kind of made the discussion yeah like being able to have that intergenerational kind of discussion and learning from one another and understanding each other's perspectives and experiences being able to do that because maybe not necessarily you'll be able to do that outside of that forum or you might not actually seek to have those kind of conversations but when you go to these forums and you have the different kind of age groups I just think you're able to learn a lot more. And yeah, I think that has been the case for us as we've gone on. Uh, we've had a real mix of age groups turning up 
and I think the conversation really benefits from that to be honest regardless of the age women are just able to kind of learn from each other and um, just appreciate each other's experiences so sometimes it's not even just about the age group but just as as relating to one another as a woman yeah I think age plays an important role but then it's just kind of relating to one another as women and what we've gone through which is also just as important really similarly I would say on our side um at the beginning yeah as you're reaching out you know if I'm kind of pushing out to our networks at the very start when we started this work it's going to go to people around the same age so you know mid-20s early 30s some folks who might be late 30s but as time has gone on there have been people coming in and out um who are from different kind of age ranges different generations I think it also depends on the topic we're discussing as well um so if we're doing a topic that you know older people might feel as though they're not as um, engaged with uh, so even we, we did something on social media we had a virtual uh, session on social media abuse and harassment and that was mainly younger folks it was it was interesting to kind of see that distinction like there were a couple of people who are a bit older there as well which is great um, but as I mentioned before when we did the one on relationships there are people there who had kids there are people there who had different kinds of um, kind of family structures and I guess you know one of the one of the things as well it's that when we're if we're doing these sessions say in London for example in person having them after work in London is already excluding a whole load of people in central as well um, and so it kind of makes a bit of sense that we have say 20s and 30s ages folks kind of coming through more regularly and so when we're, when we're focusing on wanting to reach and engage with all the generations, it will require a slightly diff more different approach. You know, where these are taking place, the hours they're taking place, you know, um, someone's got family and kids, they might have a lot of different responsibilities to attend to. They might actually not have time to be able to uh, kind of engage with this type of stuff. And so it's, it's exciting because these spaces are so simple and they can be executed in different types of uh, context and different kinds of settings. But it's just being attentive to, you know, what your audience is, who your audience actually might end up being, and how you then react to ensure that people who might not access spaces in certain areas are able to access spaces in others. Do you, if you were to say that there were three main or predominant topics and themes that come up in your discussions, would you be able to, are there like three key themes that always seem to come up when discussing mental health and what's troubling people? Relationships, family. And the third one, a third one is not jumping into my mind at the moment. I guess relationships and family are the two that are really mm. coming up. And obviously over the last year, it's been pandemic related. Yeah. Um, and as you know, when you're thinking about pandemic and stuff around grief, stuff around um, different types of challenges and yeah. They're, they're the things that are kind of springing out to me at the moment. Mm -hmm. And is that the same for you, Simi? Yeah, uh, I think it's very much the same. Um, but I, it's been interesting to see how the topic of relationship, or well, the theme of relationship and family has kind of shifted a little bit with life in, in, in lockdown. Um, so actually, um, we've been, you know, how it's changed in terms of maybe become a lot more intense because your work your personal life is all in one space. So yeah, it, there's been definitely changes um, to that, to those two themes, um, to maybe how we were discussing them before and in the past year or so, how that's, that's changed for women and, and men, I'm, I'm sure so, yeah. 
And when people um, show an interest in discussing, uh, in joining your discussions, have there been, what's kind of been the reasons for their apprehension, if any? Like, have, have you um, had to deal with anyone who's kind of wanted to open up about their mental health, but had reservations about it? Like, what were those reservations of why they might not want to open up so much? So I think for me, there are, different kinds of challenges that someone who might want to open up but doesn't open up. One, it might not be the right time. One of the things that we've said from early on is that we want a space where people can make the choice if they want to open up. You know, it's, it's, it's having that arm of support there, whether someone takes it or not, that's another question, but it's being there at that point. So it might not be the right time. It might be that people have had challenging experiences with speaking up in the past. Um, if I've spoken to someone and that someone has gone and told someone else and has gone and told someone else. So it's a, there's a real element of trust there that has to be built with other people in that space. And one of the ways trust is built is by, uh, you know, someone starting that conversation off. If someone starts talking, then it makes it a lot easier for other folks to potentially think they feel confident to talk. Um, and the third one is, you know, I think especially in the, in the, in the forums for men, it's understanding what that language of support looks like and how to then you know how to how to support each other because there's different ways you know i've i've kind of you know experienced that might not be credit incredibly helpful um and so it, it's it's almost learning and unlearning constantly and so yeah that, they're the things that come to my mind around why people might not share but then how we can kind of potentially speak to those challenges Mm-hmm. And Simi, would you say the same? Because I know that in in kind of South Asian culture, there's that whole like lokiki gonga, right? Like what are, what are other people gonna say? And that's always something that seems to be there, and that I I, I feel especially older generations can't shift away from. It's always like, what are other people gonna say though if I do this or if I say that? What are other people gonna think about me? Do you see that coming through with women? I, I think it's all just based on the person. So who who turns like the woman that turns up um, to the forum. So everyone has a might have a similar reason, might have a completely different reason. And so it's actually it's quite. I think I agree with Sharon's kind of main uh, the main reasons that often pop up in terms of why someone has struggled to talk about their mental health and what they're struggling with, what stopped them. Yeah, and I think. I think also what I've seen maybe with the younger folks that turn up to our forums, I think they are a lot more uh, informed about the the resources that are available to them in terms of like the formal ways of, of getting help or speaking up. Uh, it might not be necessarily through these forums, but in terms of therapy, being a lot more informed about what mental health is necessarily through like maybe the university or the workplace so yeah I think I think that also plays a factor as well in terms of like your awareness and understanding of what mental health is and what kind of resources are available to you and I think this isn't you know generalization but sometimes for the old for the older generation that isn't something that they've learned or or are maybe not something they're aware of or, or coming or come across with um and that that has popped up every now and then but yeah I, I think I definitely agree with what Sharon has said so what would you either of you like to see from how the UK 
the UK systems of dealing with mental health and therapy and helping people, I feel like there's not enough of an, I mean, you know, there's a there's vast improvement to be made across the board, but I think especially with ethnic minorities, I feel as though there's not enough of an effort to really reach out to those people with the systems that we have in place of, of how to help people with mental health struggles. What would you like to see from the UK's way of handling mental health struggles with um, ethnic minority groups? So I'd say that there needs to be a greater emphasis on knowing our limitations. We have an institution, healthcare services that are providing support. It's understanding that support might look different for different people across our society. And when people say, you know, we need to put more money into these services and those services, it's definitely, you know, we definitely need to put money, more money into services, but then we also need to put more money into understanding what supports work for different people and why do they work. And then we actually develop more of a more developed knowledge around the different ways people access support and help in our society. So first is that question around limitations. It's understanding what limitations are and not trying to force everyone through this one particular door because that avenue of support is the most accepted. It's the most traditional. It's the most, it's seen as the most helpful uh, with the population as a whole. And the second thing I would say is there needs to be more genuine collaboration uh, between healthcare services and grassroots organizations. And that isn't, you know, uh, an organization uh, just being thrown in on the end. It's not just an organization being told, hey, can you come and advertise these services? But it's actually thinking about how organizations are involved in the development of these things, how they're actually involved earlier on, how they have a seat at the table, rather than just being sent an email and saying, can you forward this onto your mailing list can you share this on your social media because only by doing that will we understand the things that work in our current system and the things that can be improved and importantly we'll be able to focus on the things that can be improved and actually start working together to resolve those challenges mm -hmm. and so it's yeah they're my two main things it's the kind of reflexivity you know focusing on our limitations and then thinking okay we can do this but we need to be doing it alongside the people who are experiencing these limitations, who are at the hard end of these limitations. Have either of you ever received any negativity or negative comments about the work that you do with mental health from the community? Honestly, not really. Um, I, think it's, I think it's because kind of the mental health related space is, 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 is very popular. It, it's people, no, not many people haven't said to me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, any negative comments about what we're doing, but I'm also a guy as well. So it can be, that folks will just not say it <laughs> no I haven't yeah. I haven't either but I think in terms of you know constructive feedback that is something that we always encourage with our forum we always send out a feedback form at the end and also I think in some way or another we've been able to just develop good relationships with a lot of the women that always come to our forums like the regular faces that we see so yeah we always encourage feedback and making sure that we're doing well, creating a space that works with the women that are attending. Yeah. What's the loveliest positive comment that you've either of you have ever received? That's a great question. Um, I guess there is. You know, I know. I know one person who really enjoys attending our sessions for Punjabi guys, and for him, he says that he's accessed different kinds of support in the past. You know, he's accessed professional support in the past, but there is nothing like creating these spaces with 
a group of people who are there for each other's empowerment, each other's enablement, and there to support themselves, but also to support each other. That's one of the nicest things. And then in another, I know in another session, one attendee read out a read out a poem that they'd written. I was just like, "Yo, that's sick!" <laughs> just like <laughs> having 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 the having a space where someone feels confident and comfortable to do that, in my opinion, is one of the best things that I see, especially in spaces for guys. Mm, definitely. What about you, Simi? So I think just generally every person every woman that attends the forum is always very very nice and very thankful for the space being there but I think a couple of times I think me and um the women that I work with on, on the forum there's there've been a few people that um do come I think quite often and they've come at a point where maybe they are just really struggling and they haven't really had anywhere to really express what they're dealing with and I remember there was one person that came a couple of times and was just like this has been so helpful for me and I've been able to like I've just been able to like let let this off my chest and I feel so good for being able to do this because I just didn't know where else to go that kind of was you're like okay well like we're doing we're doing something right and this is helping someone and that's the main thing like we want to make sure this space helps someone and and people are able to find some use from it and um when we hear things like that um yeah it just brings a smile to my face because I just yeah it, you, you feel like okay I'm, this is lacking I'm doing something right <laughs> yeah I'm a good person um. <laughs> yeah oh lovely well I feel like on that positive note we should end our chat it was so so great talking to you and I feel so like uplifted and happy and positive now I want to like go forth and like make people feel better but thank you so much for taking time out to chat with me thank you and thanks for having us and good luck with the the, the, the episode thank you so much guys no thank you so much and Simi thank you as well thank you so much appreciate (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Chit Chat Podcast with me, Kanika. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kanika, B-A-N-S, and follow the podcast on Instagram at Chit Chat Podcast. You can also find it on Twitter at Chit Chat Pod, and you can also send me an email on chitchartpodcast at gmail.com. The logo was designed by Sana Chowdhury, whose other brilliant work you can see on Instagram at sunac.design. That's S-A-N-A-A-C dot design. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It helps the podcast get noticed by others. Thanks.